Peace, peace, and welcome. We're glad you're here. This is the Cook on Monday Morning Podcast. I'm here with the homie, Hanif Brown. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, glad to be the first guest and uh, looking forward to some great things in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, this is all sort of an experiment. And when I, when I wanted to put this together, I actually wanted to go through like a range of topics on um, a variety of things just related to life. And um, I really appreciate you doing this. We're going to figure this out along the way. Absolutely. Um, and I want to tell a quick story before I got into you. Like the, the first guest that I approached to do this, uh, you may, I don't think you know who he is, but his name is Jeff Adachi. And Jeff Adachi was the public defender of San Francisco. He unfortunately passed earlier this year. And um, it was like a lesson to like not put things off. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. He was like a big mentor of mine. And um, I think you had some of that uh, inclination to not put things off yourself because, um, you know, you were working at a private equity firm and you started your own company. So won't you share a little bit about like what you're doing now, how you made the decision to start doing what you're doing? Yeah. Um, I would say from even an earlier age, I've been very like headstrong on making um what some would call impulse decisions but it's really thought out decisions that reach a point where i'm never hesitant to make a decision um you know i grew up in jamaica um and i remember i um got this big scholarship um academic scholarship and um everyone wanted me to go to the best school and uh, I just didn't think it was for me. Um, and so I made a decision to go to um, a less known school, but one where I felt more comfortable um, and socially was the right thing for me. Mm. Um, and I would say that shocks 99% of people, but my mom was super like supportive of it. And so as I... Um, you know, fast forward 20 plus years as I was at that same point in my life where I really wanted to be an entrepreneur and I really had a passion for, um, you know, starting not a business, but this particular business, um, it sort of was a no brainer to me. Like I said, last time I was in this position or similar positions, um, you, you, tr- you think about it. You want to make the right decision, but at the end of the day, you have to go with where your heart is mm-hmm. and everything else will figure figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, like I've always been super passionate about certain things and not so passionate about other things. Mm-hmm. And it's I've learned from, you know, just looking at the great leaders and the most influential people in life is that, you know, it's always great to be good at what you're good at and focus on that Mm -hmm. um and so for me uh towards the end so i you know i went to williams where obviously we met Mm -hmm. um i did um a stint on wall street so i worked in investment banking and consumer and retail and then i went to a private equity firm in consumer and retail as well so i spent about nine years um, talking to business owners, investing in businesses in consumer and retail. So I have a real passion for 
consumer pain points, solving mm -hmm. them, seeing businesses that are evolving the the space and disrupting industries. Mm -hmm. um, and so towards the end, I had much more of a passion for doing something in the space um, on my own. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I basically approached the firm and made it very well known. So mm -hmm. it was a very amicable um, departure on my part. Mm -hmm. um, but I knew that I was spending more time thinking about the business than I was thinking about the job. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so that's always the the inclination, the point where you just, you have to really go with where you are. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, you know, it's a long-winded story of saying, that's how I got to this point. Mm -hmm. But um, again, it's some it's something you just have to make, a decision you have to go with and uh, never look back. Yeah. Yeah. I want to get into the the business that you've started now and everything that it's, um, you know, all, all of it entails and um, the opportunity uh, in terms of like how much money you'll save people um, in terms of like the problem you're trying to solve. But I don't want to let go of Jamaica just yet <laughs> because uh, um, I actually didn't really get to know anybody from Jamaica until I went to Williams. Like uh, growing up in San Francisco, we don't have a lot of like the Jamaican community here. Isn't, isn't that strong? I can imagine that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or the island community in general. Yep. So where in Jamaica did you grow up? Uh, Kingston. Okay. Uh, which is the capital, which is where sort of 80% of the population resides. Okay. And how would you describe like your your home life in Jamaica? It was amazing. Um, I, um, it was sort of this mix of uh, fun, super interactive. I'm pretty sure now after Williams, you've interacted with a ton of Jamaicans. Uh -huh. Um, you know, very sort of uh, lively, um, you know, smart people as well. Um, and the thing about Jamaica is that it has a huge diaspora. So like it's only 3 million people, but mm -hmm. they're like people in Florida and New York and mm -hmm. London. Um, so um, for me, um, it was it was one of these experiences that, you know, now that I have a child, Mm -hmm. It's almost like I want him to get that experience mm -hmm. where, you know, he could run around and, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and sort of not be sort of techn technologically focused and mm -hmm. just, you know, climb a tree and mm -hmm. like do these, all these fun things that we did growing up. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's one of these environments where you get a lot of exposure mm -hmm. um, very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, but it's one of these um, more like, uh, it's a lot of families and mm -hmm. a lot of people that live close with each other. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's something that I would never replace, mm -hmm. um, ever in a million years. Yeah. And so what are your, what are your parents like? What did they so, do? Yeah. So my mom is in marketing. Um, mm -hmm. so she's sort of always, always in business all, mm -hmm. all my life. Um, uh, did various jobs. Um, now she's doing marketing for, um, in soccer. So mm -hmm. she works closely with FIFA, which is the governing mm -hmm. body of soccer, mm -hmm. um, and specifically in the Caribbean and Jamaica. Mm -hmm. And she loves it. She's, you know, she works very hard. Mm -hmm. It's a demanding job. Um, but she really is my role model in a lot of ways. I'm very close with her. 
And then my dad, so my parents got divorced just as as I was going to Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still really good friends. Um, mm-hmm. So my dad moved to New York mm-hmm. and he um, was in construction. Um, and, uh, you know, again, super close to my dad. Um, and so I got sort of this weird best of both worlds um, because as I was transitioning to Williams, my dad was in New York, so I could visit him mm. all the time. Um, and then obviously I used to go home to Jamaica, right. um, you know, every chance I got, right, right? right? So it was always this sort of, I had something to look forward to at home, mm-hmm. but I also had my dad, you know, three hours away mm-hmm. um, when I needed him. Yeah, as a support system. Yeah. 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 Do you have siblings? Yeah. So on my dad's side, I have a... Um, a brother and a few sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, before uh, my parents got married, my dad had older kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I see them um, often as well. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad, my brother is in Canada, for example. Okay. Um, my sisters are sort of all up and down the East Coast. Got it. Got it. Okay. So the, on your dad's side, but you're your mom's only. Yeah, my, my uh, mom's only baby. Yeah, yeah. So you, you know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. You know, she's, you know, as we speak, she's probably texting me and asking uh, me and checking uh-huh. up on me. So, but yeah, we're, we're super close. Um, now that I'm in Florida, um, she mm-hmm. comes up every, you know, chance she gets. Mm-hmm. It's just only an hour flight. And um, we have, uh, my wife and I have a 20-month-old, so that has obviously given her another excuse mm-hmm. to come visit every time you know she gets a chance. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to I went to Jamaica to bring in uh, New Year's one year. Um, I think it was like I was bringing in 2016. Yep. And since then, I've made it a habit to like leave the country every yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. Years. And one of the things that really struck me about Jamaica that um that has has like stuck with me was you know what it was like to see a country that was fully run um by black people yep and coming up and and like uh, you know when i when i was in high school yep. this, so this was 20, 2015 is the first time i went to jamaica right the first time i came across authors that talk about that talked about what it was like to feel free in a country um, was through like James Baldwin and yep. Richard Wright, and a lot of them talked about going to Paris yeah. and feeling like a sense of true liberation that they didn't feel in the country. Yep. One of them said, "I'm going to misquote, but the gist of it was like there's a there's more freedom in one block of Paris than there is in the entire country of America." Yeah. yeah. And so when I went to Paris, I was looking for that same experience, but that was back in 2007 when I went. So I, I was inspired by these writers by the 50s and 60s, went to Paris in 2007, and it's a very different place than the one they wrote about because the immigration story um, of France was one where uh, the, a, lot of, a lot of the French considered you know, immigrants to be a drain on the econ- economy, and many of those immigrants were North African. And so I'm a black American, but you know... I, I look like any yeah, other, yeah. you know, exactly. person from immigrant, yeah, right. And so, their whole issues around race was like very much. It was very pervasive. It was an election year too, and then Jamaica. It was like whoa, like you know, it was none of that. You know, <laughs> fit right in. No, but you know, it's it's one of these things that I think is very complex. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember just being at Williams. So obviously, I grew up where. I'm the majority race and issues around race. Um, it's, it, you know, 
it's a small issue, but you know, we we have this motto there where it's out of many one people because there's similarly, you know, it's a big slave, um, uh, you know, descendants of slaves, mm-hmm. which are mostly uh, African slaves, but there was Chinese immigrants as well. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of Asian um, immigrants in the country, mm-hmm. um, Indian immigrants, mm-hmm. um, for example. Um, and uh, so we have this motto is out of many one people. That being said, it's nothing compared to the racial um, complexities in, in America. Mm-hmm. So when I got to Williams, it was really my first time, you know, again, really being and experiencing some of these issues. Um, but it also what, was, Which issues? Well, one, you're now the minority. Mm-hmm. Um, two, uh, you know... You, you became a minority and yeah. you weren't growing up. Exactly. Yeah. So you move from being a majority where, you know, certain things don't matter to you don't don't you don't sort of notice them mm-hmm. to now being a minority where you know you can try to hide from it but at the end of the day it's right there in your face you are the minority um and so you know things like the black club at williams right mm-hmm. or the mm-hmm. um uh you know different immigrant groups mm-hmm. now became something that you had to embrace where before that wasn't ever something you had to deal with yeah um so it sort of became this um uh identity um you know and having you know growing up you never had to explain what jamaica meant to someone going to williams now people want to know what jamaica means and Mm -hmm. they want to do the accent Mm -hmm. they want to ask you about (laughs) bob marley and like you know you know the typical stuff (laughs) sensitive questions yeah and so you start getting more of a spotlight on okay, you have to own this identity mm-hmm. um, and everyone deals with it differently. Mm-hmm. For me, like I've always felt like, um, and because I used to travel to the United States growing up, um, I've always had exposure to, um, you know, uh, you know, talking to people from different races and so forth. Um, so I think I dealt with it pretty well. Um, mm-hmm. at first, obviously you're like, oh, wow. Like, you know, this is, it's a lot to handle. Um, but over time, you know, it's, it's just one of these things. My best friend growing up, who is my best, was my best man at my wedding mm-hmm. is Jewish mm-hmm. in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Um, his dad came from, uh, Israel, mm-hmm. married his mom, mm-hmm. had they had three boys. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to his bar mitzvah mm-hmm. and growing mm-hmm. up in Jamaica. So right, it's one right, of these right. things that like, for me, it's just, it's whilst it's your identity, it just is another piece of being in this big sort of melting pot, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I for one enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly there's some, a lot of issues that need to be fixed. Right. Um, but it's also something that I think people need to embrace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think the inspiring thing about uh, Jamaica to me was that, um, and, we, and I want to get into the company because, um, because, you yep. know, I have equity in the company. <laughs> and I'm excited about what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, there, there is no, um, so I know I know Jamaica has it's not this like utopia it has its own issues it has its own history, um, but a deficit isn't associated with race the same way it is here. So like there's no achievement gap in Jamaica. Yep. There's no like you know health disparities that are completely. I'm sure there are things that are racialized, yep. but the spectrum of uh, yeah you know 
like everybody owns every aspect of achievement. Yep. It's not relegated to like uh there's no income gap as much. There's no Yeah, you're you're totally right. And that's why I I um I pride myself on what I am and I also know what I'm not. Mm-hmm. And so I have friends who are, you know, African American like yourself mm-hmm. who I know I can't fully ever um uh uh share um some of the um the and that's why I think the issue is so complex. I can never share some of the um issues you face, for example, mm-hmm. and you are experienced um and you have experienced growing up um simply because you know I just didn't um get to experience it. Mm-hmm. Um and so you're totally right, like um you know, going to high school or going, you know, starting from a young age where there's that disparity and having to overcome it um, in, 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 in such a sort of complex way, mm-hmm. that's just something I never lived. And mm-hmm. so one of the things that I do is I talk a lot to my friends who are African-American and so forth, because I'm always a sponge. I'm trying to learn like how they view the world and why they feel strongly about certain things that mm-hmm. I don't, it's not that I don't feel strongly. It's just that because I've never really lived it, yeah. um, the passion um, behind it isn't as strong mm-hmm. as as they. Yeah. And so I just always try to just talk to them. I don't judge or I don't um, over-criticize, mm-hmm. but it's very important for me to really understand, okay, like that didn't really offend me, but why did it offend you? Mm-hmm. And okay, probably I need to change my perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I dig that. And I, I I don't think it's like, um, you know, like better or worse, like there's a... Um, you know, I, I think the point about Jamaica is that, like, I I know that um, there's a there's an experience to the African American community that's very acute to like the black narrative in the country, and there are places in the world where we don't like our our people from our like from the African diaspora don't live like that. They don't see themselves that way, like, and and because of that. We don't have to dismiss what happened, but we don't have to either, yeah. you know. And so, for the people that were looking for the uh, the experience that James Baldwin was talking about in the fifties, I think they'll find it in Jamaica. Yeah. yeah so you started a tech company called Fitmatch. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So pretty excited about um what we're doing. Um. So essentially, FitMatch is a match platform um, that connects shoppers to brands and brands to shoppers. Um, so we do that using um, what we call 3D AI technology. Um, and what makes us unique is that um, you know we are connecting people and you know shoppers who want to buy clothes and apparel from brands that they love. Um, but if you really look at the industry, there's this huge pain point and friction. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are multiple layers. So if you really ask customers, hey, like, why does it suck? And they say, okay, like, I'm, I just don't know my size. If you mm-hmm. ask brands, brands say they see customers ordering four, five items of the same style, knowing that they're going to return four mm-hmm. and keep mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are the anecdotal data. But then you look at the 
um, the real data, um, you know, returns um, uh, an issue around brand degra- uh, degradation um, is getting higher and higher, um, mm-hmm. even though this technology is getting better and better. And so we're really solving um, the uh, problem uh, in a sort of really cool and differentiated way mm-hmm. um, in that we are setting up our technology in physical spaces. Um, I'm a big, it's not I'm contrarian, but a lot of the technology that exists today really is trying to do it um, or trying to attack problems by uh, the mobile or people's phones. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I looked at the industry, I realized that you know millions and millions of people um, sort of go and purchase um, apparel, uh, you know, uh, through the normal channels, and so I and, said, and that being like online, or yeah. So in they, person? they they would purchase it on some of them. Per- most people do both, right? Mm-hmm. So most people most people purchase online and they purchase in store mm-hmm. or shopping centers or whatever it is. Um, but I felt like a lot of the technologies that I saw um, have this focus on only doing it online, mm-hmm. um, and so very early on. Um, for a lot of different reasons, accuracy, privacy, and so forth, we developed our technology to be used in physical spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, so almost like an Amazon Go, where mm-hmm. they're revolutionizing how you do grocery shopping mm-hmm. in that sort of physical space mm-hmm. with a lot of technology is my dream to really revolutionize how people shop in physical spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Um, we're on this really interesting journey where the first year was a lot of trial and error. Um, and then la- uh, earlier this year, um, we collaborated with the second largest real estate developer um, in the U.S. and one of the largest in the world mm-hmm. to roll out our technology across the country in their properties. Um, and these properties attract you know, the one that we're at right now in Houston attracts over 20 million visitors. Mm. Um, and it's a new technology. And, and, and we're beside Apple and Microsoft. Um, that's huge. Mm. And that's a huge opportunity to get exposure um, that we're taking um, uh, full advantage of. And it's just only the, the beginning of something what we think is really special. Yeah. Yeah. I want to dig into it a little more because um, I, I went to the location in Houston. And I saw people coming to the storefront and like being curious, like, what is this? What is this? So I really want to help pay the picture so people really get it. But before we get into that, I wanted to talk about um, what this problem means to companies in terms of the numbers. And so like, what is the uh, part of part of what you're trying to solve for is to reduce the amount of returns that customers have and primarily is focused on women because they do a lot more of the shopping. And so if you can just speak to a little bit about what the current industry stats um, are. Right. So do you order Grubhub or DoorDash? No. Um, you, order, <laughs> you order Seamless? Any any food delivery? Uh, no. Okay. Food delivery? No, nah, I, I probably just like call right, well, the if, regular. Okay. Imagine, <laughs> imagine 40% of the time you order something... Um, using a food delivery app or whatever, Mm -hmm. you have to return it Mm -hmm. because it's just not edible. Mm -hmm. It's not just not what you wanted. Mm -hmm. So that's the clothing industry today. Okay, 40% of the time, 
people click an item online, they return it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. You could argue that's a problem for sustainability. You could argue it's a problem for profitability. Um, but once you have that high a number of dissatisfaction, mm-hmm. um, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know. So, what does that problem mean in terms of like lost revenue? Well, it's not, well, it's a hundred billion dollar issue in terms of just people returning it every okay. year. Okay. And that's not including the reverse logistical issues, that's mm-hmm. not including the customer service expenses. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a hundred billion dollars of lost. Um, sales and inventory, um, and uh, and just waste. Mm-hmm. Um, today, I think the fashion industry accounts for more greenhouse gas emissions mm. than flights and shipping combined. Hmm. So a lot well, of people, how is that? Yes, yeah, it, it, they just they overproduce okay. um, and they over inventorize their units mm-hmm. um, and online. And this is a growing issue. Mm-hmm. Um, as I mentioned before, some people are ordering four items and returning three. Mm-hmm. Um, where does the three go? Mm-hmm. You know, it could be out of season. It could just be unwearable in, after that. Mm-hmm. And so this is a growing issue that is continuing to get worse and worse. Okay. Um, so that's so a big picture problem. Okay. But okay. the smaller micro problem is... Um, you bring up a point of lost revenue. So, mm-hmm. like, let's say you're a customer now. You had a terrible experience. You're one in the forty, mm-hmm. um, or you you sit on that side of the fence that's the forty percent that mm-hmm. didn't like what you got. If you ordered um, from that restaurant, right, and mm-hmm. you didn't like what you get, chances are you're not going back to that restaurant. Mm-hmm. So it has a ripple effect on brand retention and loyalty and customer service as well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, our solution really um, it 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 sees that as a problem. Mm-hmm. But what we're doing is sort of really listening to shoppers and saying, okay, um, what they're asking for is to see things that fit them, mm-hmm. see things that they want to buy, and they don't want to see all the other junk. Mm-hmm. And what if you could create an experience? using very accurate technology that delivers that. So mm-hmm. every time they log on to a website, every time they go into some sort of shopping experience, it really it detects if they're a FitMatch user and it immediately curates that shopping experience and personalizes it based on your biometric data and your fit profile. Mm-hmm. So it takes it's a, it's basically gives the um, ability to take hundreds of thousands of styles like on you know, a big website um, and bring it down to the top 30 Mm -hmm. or top 35 that you should really buy. Mm -hmm. And that's powerful. Um, You may not like any of the 30 or 35, which we learn through machine learning, what Mm -hmm. you really like over time. Mm -hmm. But that's the experience we want to serve up to people so that we can really cut um, waste um, give you your time back, mm-hmm. and most importantly, make sure that when you click buy, you have the assurance that this is something you really want when you when it comes in the mail. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's dope. Um, and obviously, you know, I want to see the company succeed because I mentioned I have equity in it. But I wanted to get back to the Houston um, 
uh, trip. Yeah, absolutely. So the way it works is that we set up in physical spaces these really attractive, fun, technological experiences. And the, it captures the people who are walking by. And then when we tell them what it is and tell them how, you know, if they get be a part of our platform, how we can solve this pain point for them, we immediately get them. They register, um, they answer about seven questions. Mm-hmm. And then we ask them what their fit preference is. Mm-hmm. And then they take this 3D measurement, as you mentioned, and then instantaneously, based on their answers, we're able to start sending them matches Mm -hmm. for them to shop from. Mm -hmm. So we have a database of over a thousand styles on our platform today and growing each, literally each minute. Mm -hmm. And the person sees their curated list Mm -hmm. of items immediately in the space. They say, okay, these are my matches. I want to understand them more. We will be able to explain why the algorithm chose that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about conversions. And then the third piece is about experience. Like every millennial to Gen Zs mm-hmm. to even baby boomers, everyone wants an experience now. Mm-hmm. It's not sufficient to just deliver um, cookie cutter um, retail mm-hmm. or uh, shopping or whatever it is, you have to deliver an, an experience to drive that customer to want to interact with your product. So those are the three things we're delivering. So when people walk by and they see it, they're immediately intrigued. Mm-hmm. And then we obviously serve up a very special user experience around going around the space, doing this experience, shopping. And then once the customer leaves and are on our system, it's an immense amount of data. Mm-hmm. So we can actually send them curated emails every every week. Mm-hmm. We can actually give them sort of special um, suggestions based on their body types. So just imagine if you had really long arms, um, we can actually say, hey, Steven, check these matches out um, mm-hmm. and they're special for you mm-hmm. because you actually have long arms. And mm-hmm. we can know that, right? right? right. Um, and you, know, you touched on women, Women love that, right? Mm-hmm. Because they are all about, I'm unique, I'm mm-hmm. special. It should feel like a personalized experience. And, and so, and, well, and they are. Yeah, and then of <laughs> course they are. And so we're able to serve them up uh, that experience in a very data-driven way, mm-hmm. which is what we think is the future. And unlike other personal um, sort of shoppers and so forth, we're able to do it in a non-gimmicky way because we're actually taking super accurate um, uh, images off you and combining that using AI with predictive analysis on exactly what you would like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and seeing it in person, I, I can speak to the genuine interest and the fun that people were having as they were going through um, the, the, the storefront. And also, you know, when I talked to my girl about, when I talked to her about your company, um, the immediate thing was like, yeah, like I never find stuff that fits. It's, just it's like a, a duh, right? It's like, that's the main reaction we get is like, duh, I would mm-hmm. do this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've had experiences where girl, um, girls are dragging in their girlfriends mm-hmm. to come do it. Mm-hmm. And the thing about it that I like, which is this personal touch, is that although we're pulling literally from the same database mm-hmm. once they get um, out the process, they each are seeing different um, items, mm-hmm. different shopping experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because they're being served up 
um, items based on their body shapes. And as you know, I'm tall, you're shorter than me, I probably have longer arms than you. There's no reason why when I log on to a computer, I should ever have to see the same stuff you see. Mm -hmm. um, you know, And all that is possible with um, rigid um, technology and the right uh, artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to I want to talk a little bit about uh, leadership, but I also want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, I, I mentioned a few times already, like the equity piece and, um, you know, Nipsey Hussle is one of my favorite rappers. He's still one of my favorite rappers. And I was I, w I started listening to his music back in like 2015. Um, you know, he passed uh, this year. And um, the big thing that he talked about in his music was how important it was to have equity. And um, you represent as a, a black uh, tech founder, a very small percentage of, you know, who's starting companies within the, the tech space. Uh, and, um, but you, you gave me an opportunity to have equity in the company. Um, and part of that was like facilitating you know, introductions to help you raise money in your seed round now. Um, but this whole thing about like equity, right? Because a lot of the discussions, especially in the, I mean, I, I think for a lot of young professionals in general, it was, it, the whole idea was, you know, you go to college, like people want to make six figures. They want to get the, a degree. They want to get a master's. This is like the conventional way of thinking. They rack up $60,000 in debt. They want a six figure salary. You know, and they're looking for um, they're looking for the additional degree to give them a, a greater uh, earning potential, and but they're not they're not looking for like equity or ownership. Um, can you talk about like can you talk about that a bit? Like sure. your thoughts about equity yeah. ownership and. Yeah. So I used to work at a private equity firm, um, and um, it's pretty real. Um, it that that same dilemma or discussion, um, and um, you find that there's some point where everyone thinks about equity and ownership mm -hmm. and what percentage is mine, mm -hmm. um, even when you make a salary, mm -hmm. even when you make you know six six figures. Um, that's very important. Um, and, you know, in private equity, you have something called carry. So carry is, um, is sort of this concept where, uh, you know, you get a pool of money in private equity to invest. Um, and once you make an investment and get a return above a certain threshold, you get a cut out of that profit. Mm -hmm. So it's this highly valuable um, piece of um of uh, uh, financial gain that the the industry um, gets and prides itself in, um, and you see a lot of politicians talking about carried interest. It's it's this sort of taxation on this pool of money that goes to individuals in the private equity asset class mm. um, who are exceeding their return threshold. Mm. Um, so if you you just do the math, if I have a billion dollar fund. And I return a billion dollars um, back to my LPs, and I get to keep twenty percent. LPs are limited partners. Limited partners, mm -hmm. and I get to keep twenty percent of, mm -hmm. of of any profit that I get on that billion dollars, mm -hmm. and that's only shared among ten people, mm -hmm. right? So, um, I guess I say all that to say, um, 
you know, whether you're a minority and obviously, you know, we can talk about how, uh, you know, we haven't had um, the benefit of owning, um, whether it's real estate or companies, um, and that's a big part of the income gap mm-hmm. um, dilemma that will just continue to go on for generations, mm-hmm. or just whether that, you know, as a millennial, um, that's something that we're just not taught enough of mm-hmm. in school or just in conversations. Um and so, you know, for me, like personally speaking, I don't necessarily think of uh, percentages mm-hmm. of, of, okay, I own this percentage of FitMatch. Of course, yes, because that's important to, you know, my family and so forth. But it's more being a part of, like I always say this, it's better to have um, uh, something mm-hmm. um, or have a percentage of something a smaller percentage than a hundred percent of nothing. Mm -hmm. And so as the business continues to grow, I do understand that to get the right talent on board, especially without a massive balance sheet to pay, you know, a lot of salaries, I need to be able to have conversations with people, with partners, um, same way we had a conversation. And I said, um, look, I'm looking for you to be a part of this but I also want you to share in the upside. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that um, giving you a piece of this or a chunk of it could help you get, you know, get you up at night or get you up in the morning and help you to focus on what we're building. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very important. And I think that um, that conversation and the importance of equity is getting more prominent, mm-hmm. um, but it's still not where it needs to be. Um but you know, yeah. From I, my perspective, I don't necessarily think about it day in day out. I more think about whatever I have. How can I expand it, get it bigger, so that I can obviously um, drive you know value in the mm-hmm. long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely not where it needs to be, and uh, the the conversation around equity. And I I think the one of the reasons why I said yes was because. Um, already had the mindset that this is ultimately the place I want to put myself in a position to have was uh, equity because we could have easily set up. I think the typical arrangement is like you get paid by the hour. um, You get an hourly rate. And so that's the whole thing about the six figure salary. It's kind of like you're exchanging time for money. And um, it's, it's a completely different thing to say, Hey, instead of we can turn that knob, it'll go off. Instead of um, instead of time for money, I'm just going to work for a piece, and so there is no immediate payout. Um, or you can do something to both. You can do equity and time for money, but uh, ownership needs to be, I think, the uh, it needs to be the goal because when because when you have ownership. Um, if something is sold, you get a piece of that or uh, the returns on it, you can get even if you don't have to show up to work, you know. And so um, you decided to leave a comfortable salary to build something that didn't have like any real. Yeah. Um, there was no money. Yeah. You have to raise money. And it, and it, I'd say it's it's tough. And I don't think I'm in the majority to say the least, of people who would do that. Yeah. Um, I just want to emphasize, because I know you can go into it, but like 
you know, you, you have a wife and a young child. Yep. You were working in private equity. Yep. And I know from our time together at Williams, you did very well academically. So you had a you had a very comfortable life. Yep. And um you put you and your family's future on the line to leave that comfortable salary. I'm sure you have maybe some savings or whatever to say, um, I'm gonna start this from nothing and I'm gonna ask people sure. to for, invest in my uh dream. Right. Almost. And so talk about the process of like raising money, like what yeah. that's been like and absolutely. Um, so I think as an entrepreneur, you go through, it's a very mentally taxing thing. Um, and, um, when all is said and done, I've always said, I want to document this, um, because I feel there are other immigrant, um, or minority, um, or even people who are considering doing some of the things I did, who I could help good mm -hmm. or bad. I just want to put it out there. Um, Try to keep this close to you. Yeah, I, you know, I just want to put it out there. Um, so for me, it was it was obviously the bar was raised when I had a family and and so forth um, and my kid. Um, but again, as much as this may sound very, there's no really right way to say this. I try to separate that from the decision mm -hmm. as much as possible. By that, I mean. If you're building something special and long-term, that will figure itself out, right? The support, and I know for some people it's impossible, like, mm -hmm. or nearly impossible. Um, but if you really start thinking about things like that, you'll never do it, right? And so I was lucky because I have a supportive family, my mom, my wife, um, my dad. Um, but you have to really, to me at least, think about, okay, what is it about opportunity? What keeps you up at night thinking about it? How passionate you are and really try to align with things that you are the most passionate about because mm -hmm. that's what will distinguish you and make you special. Um, and so in terms of raising money, you know, I think that the prudent thing to do and look, the valley out here. Mm -hmm. Silicon Valley. Yeah, it's, yeah. A di it's a different place, yeah, right? You're so based like, in Miami. Yeah, and you're so I, we're based in Fort Lauderdale. Mm -hmm. um, oh, Fort Lauderdale, sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because of uh, family reasons, mm -hmm. you know, my wife works and so forth. Um, and raising money there is difficult at the seed stage. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the capital there, the capital pool is more focused on later stage established companies. Yeah, define seed stage just for people that may not know. Seed yeah, stage. So, so seed stage is typically, and again, this changes every day, mm -hmm. uh, but seed stage and pre-seed are typically for companies that don't have revenue, that don't have product market fit, but they have a really good idea, they have a really good team, mm. and you're sort of investing very early on, which basically means you get the opportunity to sort of um, take a bigger chunk of equity mm -hmm. um, because you're taking a lot more risks. Mm -hmm. um, sort of Series A, Series B, those are the stages after the company has already some uh, developed some traction, mm -hmm. has some product market fit, has a broader team, and there's more... Um, meat on the bones almost mm -hmm. so at that point obviously risk is off the table so you get a smaller percentage mm -hmm. but you sort of find um it's easier to raise at that point for clear reasons at the seed stage you really have to be taking a bet on the team mm -hmm. you have to be taking a bet on me mm -hmm. that i can figure it out 
because business is tough mm-hmm. and there's a ton of pivots that happen. There's a ton of attrition with the team members and 90% or 80, at least 85% of businesses fail every year mm-hmm. that get started in the last, you know, 365 days because people just simply run out of time to execute and money to execute their vision. Mm-hmm. So for, for us, I think one of the prudent things I did was before I took any outside capital, I invested a little bit of my own money. Um, and I um, started out by going to the academic route. So mm-hmm. I went to Cornell University, which I didn't go, you know, we, you know, as you know, I went to Williams and I worked with a professor there for two months in Ithaca. Mm-hmm. And she gave basically gave me her PhD students in the winter a, or the summer? In the winter. So uh, it was painful. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was painful. It but cool. it was um it was a very eye-opening experience to frugally test my idea. Um mm-hmm. and so we worked with the PhD students. We did a project with a business school. And then that gave me enough confidence that there's something here. Mm-hmm. And we went down to Florida. We built like a, a initial team, raised some money, mostly from family and friends. But this is where being in Florida, I think, has hurt in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it And uh, is that, you know, if we're in other geographies where there's more capital that goes into earlier stage companies, I think we would have been able to raise quicker. Mm-hmm. Um that being said, we made a ton of mistakes mm-hmm. and we had to pivot our model. Mm-hmm. So I always say it's sort of this, the blessing and the curse. The curse is obviously there wasn't a ton of money pouring into us and it was really a lot of hard decisions that we had to make. The blessing is that I felt like if we overraised in last year, for example, when we were just testing a lot of the technology and making a ton of mistakes, we would have burnt through enough money where no one would want to touch us again. Mm. Um, so we underraised, um, and then approaching this year, once we iterated enough and felt we had something, um, and we're partnering with brands and so forth, we raised um, angel capital mm-hmm. um, coincidentally in Texas mm-hmm. um, when I um, I had a meeting with the uh, the U.S. Army, mm-hmm. um, and so that really started our process of fundraising. So we did an angel round um, with um, high net worth individuals in mm-hmm. Texas, mm-hmm. and um, once the Brookfield um, collaboration happened. Uh, we did a little bit more in a convertible note, mm-hmm. which basically is a, a instrument used before you have a priced financing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now we're looking as now we have that collaboration with Brookfield and we're now looking to expand to other geographies um, is to do a, an institutional round um, with the right strategic partner. Okay. All right. Yeah. You mentioned like a, a bunch of really great things that I want to dig into a little more, but I also want to be mindful of uh, your time. So you mentioned the U.S. Army, which um, I think is a whole story behind that. The the collaboration with Brookfield, uh, Brookfield is like a major um, you a major uh, commercial retailer. They have malls all over the country, and that collaboration I think is like is really interesting. Um, and you talked about uh, institutional round. So uh, can you go into can you touch a little bit about those two yeah. things, like what? So, what happened? Yeah, I can't talk a lot about the army. Um, so you can or can't? Cannot, okay. uh, just because <laughs> it's 
the it's real it's an ongoing yeah, yeah, yeah. no but it uh, to give you some perspective mm-hmm. you know them and enterprises any company that has a lot of employees mm-hmm. or a lot of um, people in their database that they have to provide uniforms for and all that they struggle with fit issues as well this is mm-hmm. not a fashion one-off issue this is a real problem where they don't know the size of their employee base Mm -hmm. and so um you know not to give away too much but the opportunity um was to do something and is to do something um with them in their real estate army bases Mm -hmm. um Brookfield is very interesting because they are a large real estate developer. They have 180 properties, shopping properties in 45 states. Mm-hmm. So they're they're the second biggest player. Um, and then they're a global giant. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have 500 billion under in assets under management. Mm-hmm. Um, so they actually are, you know, having them collaborate with us on this and um, and do many units across the country is a huge validation. Why? Mm. Because what does units mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, these sort of um, AI pop up shops okay. in their spaces. Um, so it's a huge validation. Why? Because they are so massive. Mm-hmm. Um, they have every retailer, every brand almost that owns some retail mm-hmm. is their tenant. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have an acute understanding of the future of retail. Mm-hmm. Um, and that cannot be underestimated is if they are this massive conglomerate in the retail space and they're validating this as a concept that will live inside their most their highest volume spaces, mm-hmm. That's a testament to what we're building and the value that we're providing um, them, the sh- you know, to give to their shoppers, but also to give to brands who want access to the shoppers in their spaces. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the biggest validation points is that you have such a big powerhouse in the retail space saying, we see this as the future. We're willing to give you um, and collaborate with you on this rollout. To me, that really from a proving it out standpoint Mm -hmm. um, uh, is the biggest validation that we've had so far. And then, of course, since then, we've now had inbound interest from other similar developers in the space Mm -hmm. and so forth. And so we're at this unique point right now. That's big. Yeah. And uh, we're at this really, really, really unique point right now where, you know, most startups, most companies would put their foot on the accelerator and go. Um, but I, as I told the team this morning, you know, the next couple months are are the most important for us in terms of which brands we partner with, which cities we try to go into next, how we scale our team, mm-hmm. how we invest in our data science. Um, what we need to do is really for and and not to mention what capital we raise and from who, right? And uh, you know, if you go too fast and if you just absorb all the Kool-Aid and, and, and not think that's where mistakes are made. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've come too far to allow where we are right now to um, uh, let our sort of go to our heads. Mm-hmm. And so we really need to um, think about each, each part mm-hmm. um, raise, you know, complete our financing round, but then obviously attack the opportunity in front of us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think going from like idea to a part, a collaboration 
with a real estate firm that has five hundred billion under management. Yeah, and it's, it's and look, like at front, <laughs> that's quite at, the journey. And and look, and so you're just getting started. One of the, yeah, and one of the things that was very interesting is that a lot of people had a lot of you know different ideas um, and how to take this. And I got a lot of advice. And one of the most important pieces of advice that I got was to not take a lot of advice, mm. um, because if you if you have a proliferation of advice. Um, you get confused. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. your advice to me may be completely different from someone else's advice. So who do I choose? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I keep a tight circle mm -hmm. of, uh, of mentors. Mm -hmm. um, and one of my mentors very early on who you know, um, is uh, ex-CEO of the second largest um, uh, re retailer in the world, uh, told me, to form partnerships on the real estate side mm. um, because that will allow us to have an avenue to any city we want, mm. anytime. Mm -hmm. And so that was a key piece of strategic advice that I took, um, ignored a lot of advice. Got Obviously, a lot of people told me no, right? Because I, I wasn't following their playbook. Um, but that has, you know, knock on wood so far, uh, benefited us. Mm. Okay, so um, I want to talk a little bit about leadership, and then I want to talk about legacy. So, if you know, what are your sort of like general ideas about like leadership and um, how you approach it? Do you have any guiding principles? Yeah. So one of the biggest. So firstly, when you're doing a startup, no matter who you are, you're going to make a ton of mistakes, mm -hmm. like ton, um, and you have to own it. Um, I've had team members leave. I've had uh, disagreements with people. Um, and I'm pretty sure I have not been the most spectacular leader. Um, so the first, to me, one of the things about leadership is really, you can know your strengths, but not enough people know their weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And what you have to do is be able to not only understand your weaknesses, but do everything in your power to supplement that side that is weak so that you're not exposed mm -hmm. and then obviously double down on your strengths. Mm -hmm. So for me, one of the things that um, I realized very early on that I'm weaker on is um, sort of professional organization development. It may mm -hmm. sound like very wacky to say that, mm -hmm. but I am a very sort of like, I just do stuff. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you actually need to do stuff right. Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and like do it and take the time and not rush it mm -hmm. um, to get it done. Um, so like that's one area that I sought out when I was building the team. Um, I'm not a data scientist and we do a lot of data science. Mm -hmm. So I had to go out and recruit the right CTO. Um, and so that to me is the number one thing. Everyone has different, like important things about being a good leader, but if you don't have the ability to really know like what you're good at and what you're not good at, mm -hmm. you won't be able to build, uh, an organization or a team. Mm -hmm. And it's the self-awareness and the introspection to be honest and say, look, I'm really not good at writing, right? Or whatever it is. So chances are I need to go get that help. Mm -hmm. uh, or, but you can also say, whilst I'm not good at writing, I'm really phenomenal at speeches. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm going to use to get across my message. I'm not going to write an email. 
I am going to go and deliver the most spectacular speech someone will ever see. And so that introspection really early on is very important to really crafting who you are as a leader. Um, and if you understand that, and I think if you play both sides well, you'll be able to sort of build a, a world-class team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. So the, the last thing I want to mention was legacy. And um, uh, so I, I named my company after my great-grandfather, Luther Harris. It's called the Luther Harris Holding Company. Wow. Um, we're sitting on his wife's seats. These are is uh my great grandmother's nice, seats. Nice. And this is they're strong, uh, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're rickety, but they're, they're strong. And uh, this is his dictionary. This is um, okay. Luther Harris's dictionary. And so, uh, you know, I kind of keep these things connected because he came up from Prescott, Arkansas, with an eighth grade education. Started a, a life for him and his family uh, in San Francisco. And so, um, you know. That legacy is important to me. What type of legacy? How do you think about legacy, and uh, what is it that, like, you're trying to build yeah. for yourself? Um, I um, so obviously I have a son now, um, and I always think, you know, what do I want him to be, or how I want him to live, and um. And a lot of times I see people, they want something from their, their, their let's say their um, children, but then they don't live it. Um, and so how, you know, I just look at some of my friends, like, you know, it, if, if they don't have that role model, if they don't have that sort of um, uh, reminder, like how will you be able to tell them don't do that if mm-hmm. you're doing the same thing you know you can't say don't smoke when you're a smoker mm-hmm. um is the same thing that i think about right so for me with my son for example i just want him to do what he loves right mm-hmm. and so i can look him dead in the face and said i did what i loved i was passionate about something and look you know you may not be passionate about what i'm passionate about right but the fact is you chased after it, right? You know, and my job is to give you all the resources and the guidance to do it. At the end of the day, I want you to be an independent thinker. I want you to to, to, to really think about um, how you want to leave your mark and not be afraid to do it. And mm-hmm. my job is to support you. And in the same way, my mom supports me, no matter how much times I do, how many times I do crazy, you know, stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to do the same for him. So for me, legacies, you know, I don't really think about money or monetary um, uh, legacy. I think much more about, you know, when all is said and done, can I sort of look him in the face and say, like, with a straight face, like, yes, go do what you want to do. Go, go be what you want to be. And here is the path that I took in in similar vein. Mm-hmm. That's dope. It's beautiful. Thank you. And then we got through our first episode. That was fun. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, work, As work. I said before, um, when you told me that you're about to do this, I um, not only think it's a great idea, I think you are uh, a perfect person to do this. Um, you're connected in the community. You have great insights. Um, you know, you obviously are passionate. Um, and so, you know, I do think and I encourage you to just, you know, go for it. I know. I know. Where can I learn more about FitMatch? 
Um, shopfitmatch.com, um, uh, Instagram, shopfitmatch. And, uh, you know, follow us. We have a lot of exciting developments happening. Um, we'll be in different cities soon, uh, partnering with different brands shortly, um, and really trying to deliver an experience that um, we think is going to transform the way people shop um, for, you know, many years to come. Right on. Thank you. Peace, peace, and we out. <laughs>